God's plan prevailed. And so it was not part of my plan or our plan that any of this happened with the COVID-19. But uh, we, we know that even in the midst of this, God has a plan. It wasn't an accident that we were looking at this passage, uh, that we were looking at this book of the Bible, and that we were going to be talking about God's plan prevailing. Uh, we, it, it's no accident that this was happening. This is what God had in mind to give us peace before any of this even started. And so for those of you who are part of our church, or maybe you're just watching this morning um, because a friend shared it or you know us, uh, thank you guys so much for watching this. And we pray that you would not just be watching this, but that you would be worshiping with us this morning. We know that as they were singing just a moment ago, we, we had an opportunity to sing, to lift our voices in our home. And now, as we have an opportunity to look at Scripture together, my hope and prayer is, is that you will uh, that you will focus on what God's Word says. And as I'm preaching, I hope that you will just keep going back to His Word and Scripture, and that it will uh, be your focus this morning. And that's why it's in the foreground right now. The sermon this morning is, Our Gods Cannot Help Us. And so, even... In that, there's this subtitle I should I should have put on the screen. If our if our gods with a little g cannot help us, then are we hopeless? No, because God can help us. God is our help in times of trouble. We, we should be trusting Him and not trusting in our gods. And so, before we even get to the scripture this morning, I want to go ahead and tell you that there are going to be three main things that we will look at in this passage. But then we will be transitioning to something else. The three main things that we will see in Jeremiah chapters 10 and 11, and I've shortened, I've taken out some of 10 and 11 um, because we're doing this differently, of course. Uh, but I encourage you to go ahead and read Jeremiah chapters 10 and 11 uh, today or tomorrow and see the context of what's going on. There's two different things going on here in these chapters. In chapter 10, we have the fact that they have been worshiping false gods, and God is saying that, well, I'll tell you the three points in just a moment of what he's saying in that. And then chapter 11, we see this transition from where we have been in the first 10 chapters to this new place where God is telling them that there is a need for a new covenant. And now, we're today is Palm Sunday. And so... From our perspective in modern time, looking backwards toward the cross, we can see this new covenant and how it unfolded and how it came to be. And we know that the, in the Old Testament, the old way of doing things led to something new. It led to the New Testament in your Bible. It led to the new covenant with Jesus and that we are able to be saved through him. And so we're going to end with talking about the hope that we have in Jesus. But the three things that we are going to see in uh, Jeremiah chapter 10 is first, uh, gods are worthless. Little g, gods are worthless. They, they cannot help us in our times of need. They are always eventually going to let us down. And of course, uh, none of you watching probably worship Baal or something like we would be talking about this morning in Jeremiah, uh, but anything that you put in the primary 
point of emphasis in your life is a God. That could be your family. If, if your family gets all of your attention and all of your focus, even more than God with the big G, the one true God, if your family gets that attention, then they can be your God. And so even something that God has blessed us with, something good God's given us, can be a God. Money can be a God. Money in itself is not evil, right? The Bible says it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And so money, which is a good thing, we need money to pay our bills, buy food, to help others within their times of need, things like that. If we put that in the primary place of respect and, and attention in our life, then that becomes our God. And that can be devastating to us. And so even something that can seem as helpful as money can take over and ruin your life. The gods are worthless. And then it's worthless for us to trust in those gods. So if the gods are worthless, we need to realize what we're doing to ourselves when we trust in our gods, in, in those little gods. And then the third thing is, is that there is one true God, and he is incredible, he is amazing. And so you're going to see these three scenarios play out all throughout chapter 10. And then when we get into chapter 11, uh, we have messed things up as human beings. We have sinned, but it's okay. God has sent help. God has sent a Savior, and his name is Jesus. So I, I just gave you gave away my whole sermon, so maybe I should just stop here. Uh, but, okay, corny joke with no one to laugh. It's, you know, maybe you laugh. I bet Carol Bell laughs. She, she always laughs over here to my left. Uh, anyway, all right. We're going to start in Jeremiah uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. So we see right here that Jeremiah is saying that, that, that we're, we're finding out who is the recipient of God's message. It's Israel. It's God's people. And of course, the northern kingdom has been destroyed by this time, so he's talking to the people in the southern kingdom. And he says, thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens. Because the, the nations are dismayed at them. All right, I want to pause here. We're going verse by verse. This sentence isn't even finished, but I'm going to look at what's being said here. So we see that it's God speaking through Jeremiah. And he's saying, hey, look around you. And if, if you don't know the context of Israel, Israel is surrounded by other nations. There's one very powerful nation at this time called Babylon. Um, and they kind of... Or the empire of the time and organizing trade and the common language is, is Aramaic and, and there's there's a lot of influence that, that that Babylon has but there's a lot of nations, Egypt below them, they're, they're looking at these different places and different things and, and God is saying don't look to them for where you're supposed to be going and, and don't look to the stars um like astrology, don't look to the stars for your answer. You're not going to find them there. And just because the nations are dismayed at them doesn't mean that you're supposed to be, right? And so even today, there are still people who uh, use astrology not just as a game, but to actually get direction for how their life is supposed to go. And so we learned a long time ago 
in the Bible that that's not something we should be putting our trust in. We shouldn't put our trust in government, our government, or foreign governments. We shouldn't put our trust in, in the signs of the stars. We should put our trust in the one true God. For the customs of the people are vanity. Now this word here in the Hebrew that is translated into vanity is the same word that is used over and over and over again in Ecclesiastes. Meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless and vanity. Um, what we need to see here is that our help cannot come from other nations. Our help cannot come from this astrology. And ultimately, what this is leading up to and what we're talking about, we're going to see shortly here, is God with a little g. That we cannot put our hope in these false gods of other nations. We cannot put our hope in the false gods of looking for signs from the stars. We have to put our hope in the one true God. Because the other things are vanity. They're going to fade away. They're going to uh, fail us, ultimately. And then we see that this, and it becomes very clear here with the uh, little gods, the most obvious form of a god. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nail so that it cannot move. So what are they doing? They're, they're creating, they're forming a god with their own hands. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. Interestingly, today is Palm Sunday because it, the literal translation of this is like a palm tree, something, a palm branch, something off a palm tree. And it's something that they set in a field to act what we today would call a scarecrow. And so their idols can't move, right? It's, it's this fake thing. There's no need for us to actually be scared of scarecrows, right? Uh, some of you are, are scared of scarecrows, so maybe this isn't the best analogy. But their idols are just standing there. They only do what you put them there to do. And we have to be careful because we can put our faith and our trust in things that are going to fail us. They're like scarecrows in a cucumber field. Well, if the scarecrow is the idol, then who are the worshipers? The little cucumbers here. Okay, that's an interesting image to have in your mind. And, and they cannot speak. They, going back to the scarecrows, they have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither is it in them to do good. These things are just things to be used. The power isn't in this thing that has come from a tree, this inanimate object that cannot speak, that cannot act. The power, whether that's negative or positive, comes from the power we give them. If we begin to worship these little gods in our life, if we begin to worship these things, then we, in essence, give them power over our lives. Money has no power in, in the sense of it cannot determine whether we have joy or not. Now, can money help our situation? And can money help us pay our bills? Absolutely. Money is important, as I started this message with, but it does not have to be our God whether we have none of it or whether we have a lot of it. We have an opportunity to make sure that we have things in the proper perspective, in the pro proper priority in our lives. Number one should ultimately be God. 
And then the other things fall in place in some descending order. Of course, our family needs to be extremely important to us. Uh, our character and things like that, those things need to be important to us. God is number one, and all the other things are focused and surrounded and centered um, in Him. However, that is not true of all. Even those of us who love the Lord, we're constantly tempted to put our trust in someone or something else. We're constantly tempted to make another object our God. And this is a time in our lives where that's boiling to the surface, where we can see the, the fruit of what has been planted in our hearts. Because there are many of us right now where the thing that is coming up is not faith, it's not trust, but it's fear. There's many of us right now who we're, we're, we can't help those in need financially. Even I'm specifically talking to those who might be able to help those in need. But because we want to hang on to that money, because our trust is really in it, we're paralyzed and unable to help. You see, times like these, with a, in a pandemic, it helps to bring to the surface where our trust and our faith really is. So do we trust in God, or have we put our hope in these false things, these things that ultimately will not help us, they will let us down. Even if your money helps you to the end of your life, when you die, you can't take that money with you. And so, and if you look at people who are greedy, who have made money their God, then a lot of times that money causes them problems all throughout their life, especially toward the end of their life. When people are fighting about who's going to get it when they're gone and things like that. And so the very thing that we put our trust in and our hope in can turn around and bite us. They can get us. And we have to make sure that we're putting our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus. Because ultimately, these are inanimate objects that can't talk, they can't walk, they can't do anything for us. They cannot do evil, neither is it in them to do good. It's how we use them. So let's go on to the next verse, verse 6. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. So we've already seen our three things, our three points, the main points this morning. Gods are meaningless, they're worthless, they can't help us. If we put our trust in them, we're hopeless because they, they have no power to do anything. And so therefore, those who put their faith and their trust in these false gods, we're hopeless. And then number three is listed here in verse six. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. There, there might be these false gods that are like scarecrows hanging in a field, but that's not our God. There is none like our God. Our God is glorious. Our God is powerful. Our God is creator. Our God is sustainer. Our God is there for us. He can do something for us in our times of need. He can provide for us when our fear is trying to take over. Who can give us peace? 
that passes all understanding. Who can be our God? And it's the one true God. We can put our faith and our trust in him. There's none like him. Verse 8. They are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. So uh, Jeremiah pulls no punches here. He is going straight at idols. They're stupid and foolish. They're worthless. Again, he's using these, this strong language. The instructions of idols is but wood. We made them with our own hands. Uh, we, we have put value on paper money, right? On currency. We have put we put we have put value uh, on our television. If we're not careful right now, hey, television can be a great escape during these times. But if, if that's what we're relying on to give us joy and sustenance during this time, then it probably, after a couple of weeks, has already let you down. And even though you have a billion choices of what to watch, you're already looking for something interesting to watch. Uh, because while TV can be entertaining, if it's our God, it can be life-sucking. It can destroy us. It can, it can, the very thing that we look to for hope can turn around and bite us. So, let's continue reading verse 9. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. They are the works of the craftsmen and of the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. They are all the works of skilled men. Again, do we see the futility in this? Man created these things. How can then they, they turn around and give the meaning of life to us? Give everlasting and eternal life to us? They're, they're just finite creatures or creations of our own doing. How can they be the thing that gives us hope during this time? That's why we have to put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And so we can't rely on something that's created. We have to rely on the creator. And then verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. God, I do believe that God has the power that if he so desires, he can snap his fingers right now and all disease and all sickness and all of that that's on this earth be taken away. And by the way, the Bible promises us, promises us that a day will come when that happens. But when that day comes, we better be ready for it. Because if we don't have a relationship with him, then we will not get to spend an eternity with him in heaven without that sickness and without that pain. In many of my sermons, I, I, we look toward, we look forward to the end, to that day when there will be no more pain and no more sickness and no more suffering. And so many of us are ready for that, but now we're especially ready for it because of what we are seeing around us, what we are experiencing in this world. We look at what's happening in New York City, and our hearts and our prayers go out to the healthcare workers and those on the front line of this. I, read the other day that 20% of law enforcement in New York City uh, of the police officers are on sick leave right now because they are coming into contact with this on the front line. Some of them are already coming back to work. They've been dealing with this so long because their symptoms are gone. 
And so we, we need to be praying for them. Our, our minds need to be with them. We need to long for healing. We need to long for the day when this will be over with. And what I'm telling you is, is that our hope is in God. And yes, we need to use all the tools in our tool belt, everything that's available to us. If we have the opportunity to be with one another through technology, we need to use that. If, if we have science at our disposal to come up with something that will help us to not uh, deal with this very much longer or to help those who are sick right now, then we need to use that. All of us who have been trained and educated and gifted to do certain things, we need to be using those gifts for the glory of God right now with all of our hearts. But our hope is not even in our science, and our hope is not in our government. Our hope is in the one true God. Our hope is that one day, because if, if let, not to deep realm, but if let's say all of us survive this pandemic, you know what's right around the corner? Another sickness, another illness. It might be cancer. It might be something not in illness related where we can't pay our bills or our, we're, we're longing for our children to know Jesus. There's more hurt, there's more pain right around the corner. And so if we put our hope in science to get us through this, it might get us through this, but there's something right around the corner waiting for us. Our hope and our trust has to be in Jesus. Because when our hope and our trust is in Jesus, even when we're going through something like this, we can have hope and we can have joy in the midst of it. We can have a testimony and we can be an example to others even before the pandemic is over. We can show people what it's like to trust Jesus. And I've seen so many of you doing that over the past couple of weeks. I've been very proud to be your pastor. And for those of you watching who are members of our church, I've been very proud to see the creative ways that you've gone about helping others and loving others, going, going to get groceries for people in need, making goodies, cookies, pies, stuff like that, and, and just trying to serve your neighbors and trying to serve the people around you from a distance, from a safe distance and in safe ways that we need to be listening to and abiding by. Even here today, you saw where we were all spread out and there was never more than five people in this building, and this is a humongous building. And so um, we need to be smart, but we need to not only put our hope in God, but we need to prove where that hope is coming from by our actions. We need to show the faith that we have and the love that we have for him. Let's go to the next verse. And this is an interesting verse. <clears throat> Thus you shall say to them, and what follows, if you know anything about the Bible, most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Most of the New Testament was written in Greek. Now, the Bible is not only Hebrew and Greek. There are a few times when there are words of different languages included in, in the original text. And this is one of those times. You can't tell it reading the English Bible because it's all in English. But this was written in Aramaic. And so even if you know Hebrew and you're reading this, you can't read this verse because it's written in Aramaic. And, and, and that there, there's a difference of opinion on why this is written in Aramaic, but most people can narrow it down to two things. The most likely reason is because he wants the people of the other nations to hear this in the common language. 
Because Aramaic was the common language that was spoken even amongst the nations at that time. It was the trade language. And so saying it in this language, it's like this is, okay, he's been speaking to his people, the Israelites. Now this goes out to everyone. Thus shall you say to them, that God who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Let's read that again. Thus shall you say to them, the God who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. We need to realize that God is the only everlasting God. All other gods with a little g that we put our faith and our hope and our trust in, they will let us down at some point. We can look, we don't have to look to the future for this. We can look to the past. How many times have the things that we put our trust in failed us? How many times have the people who we have put our trust in failed us? God is the only one who is everlasting and faithful. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. This might look familiar to you, because earlier in Jeremiah, these, this same thing is said in verses 12 through 16. We can rewind and see this is same exact thing said. This is something common that they are saying, that Jeremiah is saying about the one true God. It is he who, I'm going to just read 12 through 16. So I'm going to start over with 12 and read all the way through 16. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from the, from the storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. This is harsh, right? But for people who put their trust in this handmade thing, what else does that say about us? Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. I should say one more thing about the stupid part. The, the, that word can also be translated as cow. And so it's like, basically, we're like an animal. Like, what are we thinking? You know, God has made us in his image, and now we're worshiping this little thing, this handmade thing. Every man is stupid without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. For his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless. A work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. So shall we one day. 16. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. God is not like the false idols that will let us down. God is not like the other things that we might sit on the throne of our heart and they come back and destroy us. If we put our faith and trust in God, He will be faithful. It might not be in the way we expect it. It might not be in the way that we imagined or planned or envisioned. At just as we can look at today, how many of us wanted this? How many of us envisioned this? But if we look at biblical history, we could guess that something catastrophic would happen. If we just look at the history of humankind, we could guess that something catastrophic would happen. And if God tarries, 
then something else in the future catastrophic will happen. Because it is the way of this fallen world. It's what is going to happen until God comes back, until Jesus returns and brings peace eventually. And so, we don't need to put our trust in false idols. We need to put our trust in the one true God. And where we put our trust says something about us, as mentioned in the scripture. So, going on to chapter 11, we're, we're again, for time's sake, we're going to go past this, but it's more of the same of what's been said. And there are some great verses, especially one that sticks out to me at the end of chapter 10. I encourage you to read this in your own time, but we're going to go over to chapter uh, 11. And in chapter 11, as I mentioned earlier, he, he makes this transition. He stops talking about what happens when we put our hope in false idols. And he starts talking about, it's already done. They've already put their hope in false idols. And now here are the consequences of that. And so let's, let's look at what he says in verses 9 through 13. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 9. Again, the Lord said to me, a conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, for those of you who are watching, you might not know this. Th these are God's chosen people, right? He chose the followers of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and all of the descendants are named the Israelites, right? And at some point after David's reign, after Solomon's reign, the kingdom was split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, which was called Israel, was destroyed. The southern kingdom, which was called Judah, which is where Jerusalem is, was still going. But they were going down the same path that Israel had gone down. And now, God is wondering, and of course God knows because he's God, he knows everything, but in the language he's using with Jeremiah, with the people of Judah at the time, he's wondering why Judah hasn't learned from the lesson of Israel, why they are still going down this path. And he says that there's this conspiracy that exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods to serve me. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant that I made with their fathers. Now this is crucial. If you are looking at the Bible and, and you're looking at it as a whole, as we should do, as from beginning to end, that it's this one story with God, where God is the main character, and he is revealing his will and his purpose and his plan, and where we fit into that, and, and where the nations fit into that. If we look at the Bible as God's story and his, his revelation to men about what is true about him and about eternity and things like that, then in the story, he has a chosen people. And then if you go back, as I mentioned about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you go back then, he chose them to make him known to the nations, to the world. He, he says in Exodus 19 to Moses, when he's renewing this covenant, with Moses and the people who have uh, escaped from Egypt, he's renewing the covenant, and he says, I, you are to be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Their job was to make him known among the nations. And yet, even in their own nation, they haven't been faithful. They're worshiping other gods. They have cheated on the one true God with these handmade idols. 
And it didn't even take long to them creating uh, or settling in Jerusalem and settling in that part of the world for this to happen in the promised land. While they were still in the desert, while Moses is up on the mountain, they come to Aaron and they ask Aaron to form these gods for them and so that they could worship them. And Aaron just takes their earrings and things, their gold, and he forms a golden calf. And he says, Hear, O Israel, are your gods who delivered you out of Egypt. And God is infuriated. Here he is. He has just brought plagues to free them. By the way, if you don't think God can use epidemics, just read Exodus. God can use all kinds of terrible things to bring about glory and to bring about good. And so he has freed them from Egypt. He has done these incredibly complicated things in order to free them. And they have turned and worshipped other gods. They went back to what they knew. And here, fast forward hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and here we are in Jeremiah, and they've done the same thing. They've turned back to worshiping false gods, even after everything the one true God has done for them. Not only are they worshiping these false gods, but as we have already seen in Jeremiah in earlier chapters, they are doing these despicable things in the name of these other gods. Um, there's not faithfulness within the home, and they are sacrificing their children to false gods, and God sees this. And he hears the cry of the people who are in despair. They are neglecting the poor. These are some of the things that many of us in, our, in today's society could be accused of doing. Maybe we haven't sacrificed our children to a false god, but what if we have neglected our children for the sake of our god money or our job or whatever the case might be? So we have our own gods today. And if we're not careful, we fall into this same category. And that should convict us. And they have, worked, they have turned back to worshiping these gods and have neglected the one true God. Verse 11. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape. I'm going to pause here. I'm going to go back to verse 10. They've broken the covenant at the end of verse 10 that, that God made with their fathers. That covenant is broken. And if we fast forward to the New Testament, we can see in the New Testament that the reason there was a need for a new covenant is because the old covenant was not sufficient. It was sufficient from God's side. He, he upheld his end. But they did not uphold their end. And so going back, since the covenant is broken, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I bring disaster upon them that they cannot escape. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. Now this might seem harsh out of context, but in context it's harsh. But you need the context of this. God has said many times in Jeremiah already, and the prophets before Jeremiah, many times over, has said, anyone who repents, He'll forgive them. All they have to do is to turn from their sin. And this didn't just go for God's people, the Israelites. This went for any nation. I mean, 
Look at Nineveh. Jonah went to Nineveh, and he didn't want to go because Nineveh was an enemy of the Israelites in many countries at that time. But he, he ended up going after some interesting things. You should read the book of Jonah. And he ends up going, and he tells them, repent, or judgment is coming. And guess what they do? They repent. And God relents from the disaster. And he would relent from the disaster on the Israelites if they would just repent. But they won't. And so that's why disaster is coming to Judah, just like it did to Israel. He's not going to listen to their cries for help because their cries for help are without repentance. They just won't rescue. They don't want to live for God. They don't want to turn back to Him. And if we're not careful, that could be us today. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, crying out to God, God, help me. And all we want is rescue and help for ourselves and for our selfishness. We have no love for Him. We have no desire to do what He desires for us to do. We have no desire to, to treat people better now that we've experienced this, or no desire for this to have transformed our life into lives who of people who love him and want to follow him and love our neighbors. We just won't rescue. I mean, it could, it could be not to, to be crass, but it could be like the person hugging the toilet after a night of drinking, promising that God will get them out of this. They'll never do it again. But what does that person usually do again? They find themselves right back at the same place. And God knows our heart. And there comes a point when he no longer hears our cries, when he no longer listens, because we're just crying out for selfish rescue without any intention of loving in return, of doing what he has called us to do, of loving others. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. Let that not be said of us. Let's cry to him for rescue. Let's cry to him for salvation. Let's turn from the way things used to be, and let's turn toward him. Let's turn away from selfishness. Let's turn away from false gods, and let's turn toward him. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to, to the gods to whom they make offerings. So in times of need, where are they turning? To repentance? No. They're looking for rescue from these false gods that they formed with their own hands. But they cannot save them in the time of their trouble. The same is true for us today. These man-made things are not going to save us. Even if they rescue us from our current pain, if that's mortal, maybe television will help you out for a little bit. If you need an electric bill paid, money's going to help you out. If you're sick and you need help, medicine will help you out. If we need a cure for some future thing, science is going to help us out. All of these things are good in their proper priority, in the right perspective. But when we look to them for our salvation, what can they offer? They might be able to offer temporary victories in certain battles. But over the war of our soul, we can only turn to God. And he has provided a way. Let's read the next verse. For your gods have become as many as your cities, O Judah, and as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to shame, altars to make, offerings to bear. So they're relying. 
If the end of the story is that we have created all these false gods and all these altars that we're to worship them, some of our altars are, are sitting empty right now, our sports stadiums, things like that. Some of the things that we used to worship have been taken away from us. And this was the end of the story. This would be hopeless. This would be time for despair. But this is not the end of the story. Yes, they broke the covenant, but a new covenant is coming. Jesus is coming. And next week is Easter. And so next week in Jeremiah, we'll fast forward, and we're going to look at a special passage that talks about the coming Messiah. Because we're going to turn our attention to the cross and to the resurrection, to the empty tomb. And right here we see the need for the cross. Because the old covenant, the promise that God made to his people, that if they would just obey him, he would be their God and they would be his people. Well, that, that wasn't going to work. Because we can't obey God perfectly. We're, we're sinners. And we are born into sin. We struggle with sin. Even those who love God, we struggle with sin. And so we needed something else. Because perfection was not going to be the path to our salvation. Our own perfection, at least. And so God sent his son. Jesus became a human being. Was born as a baby. Grew into a man who never sinned. He never did wrong. And he went to the cross, and he died on that cross, not because he deserved punishment or because of anything bad he did. He went there willingly to pay for our sins, to make a new way, a new covenant. And now anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, that believes that God can save us through Jesus, and that even though we're not perfect, he was perfect, and we can be adopted into his perfection. We can be adopted in as sons of God. And if we, all we have to do is put our faith in Jesus, trust him, follow him, become his, and we're saved, we're going to heaven. All of this, all of the pain, all of the suffering that we endure right now, one day will cease. And we will get to live with him permanently without any of this. Without any sickness, without any pain, without any suffering. That's what's promised for us in the future. But there is something promised to us right now. What we're promised right now is for those of us who truly have a relationship with him, even when things are dim, even when things seem hopeless, he is there. We, not, we might not even be able to sense his presence, but he is there, and he will carry us through times like this. We don't have to wait for salvation in the future. We are currently in the process of being saved. He is helping us endure these times. For those of us who have a relationship with him. And so if you don't know him, if you don't have a relationship with him this morning, you can put your faith in him where you are right now. You can say right now, Jesus save me. Jesus help me. And he will do that. He is faithful to do so. He has done the work necessary in order for us to be saved. All we have to do is put our faith in him that he can make us right with God by what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. Because he didn't just stay on that cross and die on that cross. He overcame that cross. Yeah. He rose again. And that's what we'll talk about next week is the resurrection. But this morning, I just want to challenge you to put your faith and trust in him. And if you're already a Christian, and, and when I say that, I'm saying you have put your faith in him and you have been transformed. You, he is, has been 
sanctifying you, which is a big fancy word for setting you apart and helping you to become more and more like him. And if, if for those of you who fit that category, who put their faith in God, and God has, has changed your heart, and you are his, then we have to put our hope in him right now. We can't put our hope in these false gods. We can't turn back to these things that will not save us. Our hope is in him. And when he is number one in our life, then all these other things can be used in a healthy manner. They can be leaned upon in a healthy manner. But if we're leaning to them for our hope and our rescue and our, our spiritual salvation, then we're in trouble. And so for those of you who are Christians, put your faith in God, not in anything else. So thank you guys for listening this morning. I'm going to pray, and then I'll end this. But I just want to say that during these dark times, we as Christians, we have an opportunity to be a light in the darkness. We have an opportunity to be the salt of the earth. We have an opportunity to love others and let them see that, hey, yes, this is hard for us. It's hard for everyone. But we know this is not the end. Our end is in Jesus. Our end is in heaven with him. And so we can serve. We can make sacrifices during these days in order to help those who are in need. And I just want to encourage you, if you don't even know where to start, start by praying for the healthcare workers. Start by praying for those essential workers that are still around people. Uh, be smart when you go into grocery stores. Keep your distance and listen to the guidelines of the CDC and, and respect others. That's a good place to start. Where can you go beyond that? You can help make masks if you have that skill. You can check in on your neighbors with a phone call. You can sanitize your hands, make some cookies, put them in clean containers, and then drop them off with all the clean hands, and then call and let them know something's on their doorstep. You can write cards. You can send letters. You can do a record yourself doing a testimony so that we can put it on the website as an encouragement and a challenge for others. There are many ways that you can serve others right now and be alive. And so I encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that during these days, that you would help us to be who you have called us to be. For those of us who are called by your name, that have put our faith and our trust in you, I pray that you would not just one day save us from things, but that you would help us to be a light in the midst of the darkness right now. Once we were not your people, but now we are your people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Lord, so help us to just burst forth into your marvelous life, Lord, that we would be the people you've called us to be. And for those who don't know you, I pray that they would put their trust and their faith in you this morning. There is no reason to wait, especially with the encouragement around us for us to be able to see that time is short and that we're not always protected, we're not always safe. We need you. We need to know what's going to happen if things get grim in our lives. We need to be able to hope and trust in you. Help us to stop trusting in false gods and help us to put our hope and our faith in the one true God. You deserve that. You deserve our glory. Lord, bring revival in the midst of this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.